Take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. It records the last words Jesus said on earth before he ascended back to heaven. It also gives us the outline of the entire book of the book of Acts. Read it with me off the screen, would you please? Read Acts 1.8. And the reason I want you to read off the screens is because we'll all have the same translation. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Keep that up there just a moment and I'll show you the outline of the book of Acts. You have Acts chapter 1 and 2. Acts chapter 1 and 2 are in that first phrase, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what happened as God birthed the first church. And then you see Acts 3 through 7 in that next phrase, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem. The early church was birthed in the city of Jerusalem. And you read about that in Acts chapter 3 verses, uh, Acts chapter 3 through chapter 7. And then it branched out into a broader region and across ethnical lines in Acts chapter 8 verse 12, as the Bible goes on to say, and in all Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 13 through the end of the book of Acts, chapter 13 through 28, it fulfills the last part of Acts 1-8, even to the remotest part of the earth. God is interested in reaching lost people for Christ. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He will not make you repent. He will not make you believe. But he will offer you the good news of Jesus Christ and by your free will, he will ask you to receive Christ. Now, when I say free will, it's free in a sense, but it is damaged by a sinful nature. We are free, but we're not free. We're free, but not free from sin until we meet Jesus, and then we are free indeed. If you think you're free now, you don't know anything about freedom if you don't know Christ. Only Jesus can set you free and forgive all your sins and give you eternal, abundant, joyful, everlasting life. And it comes by responding to the gospel of Jesus. And you and I know that gospel. You and I have that gospel. You and I are under obligation to share that gospel with lost people. It's not something the preacher does by himself. I'm not your hired gun. It's not my job to evangelize everyone. It's my job to evangelize, but also to train you to evangelize. It's my job to inspire you to evangelize. It's my job to remind you that it's your job to tell people about Jesus Christ and to be on mission. This is not just a place where we come to sit, soak, and sour. This is a place where we come to receive the Word of God and be sent out into darkness to share the light of the gospel.
And everywhere we go, we're supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And that means we're to penetrate darkness and decay with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't, who do you think is going to do it? Do you think the Republicans are going to do it? Do you think the Democrats are going to do it? No. That's our job. It's our job as Christians to take the gospel of Jesus to the lost people. And you know lost people and I know lost people that need Christ. You know lost people that will never come to church, but they might come to Christ if they see you living for Christ and if they hear you sharing the gospel of Christ. So let's talk about Jesus' missionary strategy. We don't have to invent a new strategy. <laughs> the one Jesus gave us works if we will work his strategy. We don't have to come up with a new thing every year. No, we just need to get back to the old roots of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lays it out so succinctly that anybody can understand it. If the Spirit of God is in you, you can understand what I'm about to share. Number one, look at the power of missions. The power of missions was not in the missionaries. The power of missions is in the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Very important word there, come upon you, a verb. Jesus promised his disciples that they would have the necessary power to fulfill the great commission, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. He said, I'll give you all the power you need. You shall receive, not you might receive, you shall receive power. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's a big mission to take the gospel to the entire earth, but we've got a big God who can more than fulfill that task through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were going to be combating and fighting all the schemes of the devil and his army of demons. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't like to give up ground. Jesus called the devil the God of this earth, the God of this world, the God of this present world that is anti-Jesus, anti-Bible, always has been since the fall, anti-Christ, anti-gospel of Jesus. If you're thinking that it's worse than it's ever been, I got news for you, it's going to get worser all the time until Jesus comes back. But it's been bad a long time. And if I'd have lived in the 1930s, I would have thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And there have been many manifestations of Antichrist all through the centuries. But God gives us a gospel. He gives us the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of missions is the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when he came upon the believers who had been praying for many days, and the Bible says after they prayed for 10 days, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, 
On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave this ability. We're going to find out in just a minute what they were speaking was. They were speaking the glories of God. They were talking about Jesus. They were sharing the gospel with lost people. People had assembled in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost and for Passover and all of that. And they had come from all these other regions. They were Jews, yes. They spoke Hebrew, but they also spoke in their native dialect. And the Holy Spirit came and he knew everybody that was there. He knew everybody that was in the room, just like he knows everybody that's in this room right now. He knows everything about every one of you right now. I don't know it, but he knows it, and he can come down and speak to you in your language, and that's what it was on the day of Pentecost. It was the reversal of the Tower of Babel when God distributed them and, and divided them with many languages. Now he brings all the languages together at Pentecost and shares the gospel with everybody in their native tongue. Tell me God's not big. God's powerful. He did it through the Holy Spirit of God. The power of missions is the spirit of the living God. You know, we, we read about that strong man in the Old Testament, Samson. And every time you see a video about him, a cartoon, or every time you see somebody draw of him, he's got these huge ripped muscles. And man, I mean, he's doing like this, you know, and everything. And... Uh, the only problem is the Bible doesn't picture him that way. Not one time will you read in the book of Judges that Samson had big muscles. But what you will read is Samson had a big God. I don't know if he was muscled up or not. I kind of don't think so. Because I believe God did it. And you know how he did it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just read you a few excerpts about Samson. Judges 14, 5 through 6. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. Behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. I got news for you. If a young lion was running toward me, I'd be running the other way as fast as I could. But not Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Say that with me. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. What happened? came mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. I've never seen a goat torn, but I got news for you. It ain't pretty. And he grabbed that thing by the mouth and ripped him apart. But he did not tell his father and mother what he'd done. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Judges 14, 19, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily. He went down to Ashkelon. He killed 30 of them. He took their spoil. He gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. His anger burned. He went up to his father's house. He killed 30 men because the Spirit of God empowered him. But that's not all. He killed 1,000 one time. And you won't believe what he used as a weapon. Judges 15, 14 and 15, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms that were binding him as flax 
that it, it, they came off as flax that is burned with fire. His bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And here's what the Hebrew says. He beat the tar out of him and killed him. He reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Sad thing is, when he would not repent of adultery and fornication, God took the spirit from him and he could no longer do anything. Listen to this. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. Judges 16, then the Philistine, she said, this is Delilah. He made one too many trips to Delilah's house. Some of y'all out there, you're just flirting with sin. You think you're getting away with it. You're not getting away with anything. You better be glad God has been gracious to you. But you're one sin away from messing up. One too many trips to Delilah's house. Philistines are upon you, she said. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times. Notice the presumption and the pride there. I'll shake myself free. You didn't shake yourself free. God's spirit came upon you, boy. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. That's what the devil wants for every one of us, to be a slave of sin. Samson's strength wasn't in his muscles. Samson's strength was in the Spirit of God. And I got news for you. Bellevue strength is not in our big buildings. Bellevue strength is not in our pastor. Bellevue strength is not in our numbers. Bellevue strength is in the Spirit of the living God Almighty. Amen. Amen. I love Zechariah. He's another guy you better get to know. Him and Habakkuk. I've told you about Habakkuk many times. You better get to know Zechariah. He's going to come up and say, how did you like that book I wrote? Listen to what he says. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. That was the leader there, the political leader in that area. He said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Don't you love that? It's not by human might. It's not by human power. It's not by human intelligence and planning and all of that. Yes, we plan. That's great. But you know what? At the end of the day, if we don't have the power of God, if we don't have the Spirit of God, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. Every one of you has been baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment you got saved. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says. For by one Spirit we're all, everybody say all. All baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. That's regeneration talk. That's being born again talking. He says you're baptized. A lot of people say the baptism is a second blessing. I believe the baptism is the first blessing. I believe the second and third and fourth and fifth and on and on is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live within you when you get saved. The Bible says so. In Romans 8, 9, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, he doesn't belong to Christ. If you don't have the spirit of God, it's not that you're not spiritual, it's that you're not saved. You've got to have the spirit of God in you. And he doesn't come a little bit now and a little bit later. He's not on that kind of plan. He comes all at once. And what the feeling is, is him rushing out of you like a, 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 a river of living water. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Every Christian is baptized by the Holy Spirit. Every 
Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we need to turn him loose. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. Don't get drunk with wine. That is dissipation. That's excess. But rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let that river of living water go. Let it come out. Say, oh God, fill me. Fill me. Just as I came up, my wife laid hands on me and said, Lord Jesus, fill Steve before he gets up there to preach. I don't want to get up here and preach in my power. My power is nothing. I don't have any power. But the Spirit of God does. And he can use anybody, even somebody like me, even somebody like you. Jesus Christ can use you. Let him fill you with his Holy Spirit. Not just so you can feel good. Not just so you can tingle. Not just so you can do whatever. No, but that you might serve the living God in the power and anointing of God. That's what we need in our churches. Our churches across America are lifeless. They are dead. They have lost their vision. They have lost their power because they don't depend on the power of the Holy Ghost of God. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. We're so afraid of excess. We're so afraid that something's going to get out of hand. I wish that it would get out of my hand and your hand and get in God's hand. I'm not talking about something weird. I'm not talking about something unbiblical, but I am talking about the power of the Spirit of God. God can do more in one minute than I can do in a lifetime. Oh, dear friend, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, how are we going to fulfill the Great Commission? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let me just... Share that word. I've done this several times, but that's the word, same identical word, written by the same man, Luke. He wrote it back in Luke 1 when the angel came and visited Mary. And she, who was the first one to doubt the virgin birth? The virgin. <laughs> How can this be? How can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that's Epirchomai. He will literally put Jesus in you. And that's what's happened to us. When we get saved now, the Spirit of God comes up on us. He comes within us and puts Christ in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And you have now the power for missions, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Notice the proclamation very quickly of missions. You shall be my witness. He does not say you shall witness. He says you shall be my witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Witnessing is not something they merely were to do occasionally. It's something that they were. They were witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. It's not just something that you do. It's at the core of your being. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is always pointing people not to him but to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the greatest soul winner there is. The Holy Spirit is the greatest witness of Jesus that there is. And when he comes in you, one of the primary things that he's there for is to tell people about Jesus Christ through you. Jesus said the night before he died this about the Holy Spirit. He called him the helper, the parakletos, the one called alongside to help us. When the helper comes, John 15, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you've been with me 
from the beginning. Oh, the Holy Spirit is a constant witness to Jesus Christ. What went on to happen on that day of Pentecost? I read the first four verses a while ago. Let's go back and pick it up. And what does the Bible say in Acts 2? Again, going back to verse 4, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them his ability. At that time, they were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear, it, to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Now, let me tell you what he was saying. These people are a bunch of country hicks. That's what he was saying. They're up there in Galilee. One of the reasons I like to go to Galilee, I fit right in. I mean, I, I just a bunch of country folks up there. They're out there just, I, I under, I, those are my people, all right? So I, I, I get that. But this was a little bit of disdain here. How can this be? They're from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in all these native languages. They're not learned. They're not, they haven't been to school, no, but they know all these languages. And here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They were talking about Jesus. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, ah, oh, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward. I like that. This guy that was a coward now steps forward. He steps up for the Lord Jesus Christ with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. This, These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long, predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, he's quoting Joel 2, verse 8. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That is, they will share the word of God. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit upon my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. They will proclaim the glories of God, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood will turn blood red before the great and glorious day that the Lord arrives. All these Christians, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what they do? They witnessed for Christ. They were telling people about Jesus. That's the proclamation of missions. And I want to tell you something. When God fills you with the Holy Spirit, when God saves you, you shall be his witnesses. We're not just Witness is not something just that we do. It's who we are. It's who we are. All American football players don't just play football. They are football players. There's a difference. Some people play at football, but these all Americans, they are 
football players. They are football players that play football. They don't just play football. They are. They, they wake up thinking about it. They go to bed sleeping about it. My daddy was not a worker on the railroad. My daddy was a railroader. He woke up thinking about the Illinois Central Railroad. He woke up, he thought about it, he went to work early, he came home late, he was just a country boy from Ripley, and he went to bed thinking about the railroad. He was a railroader, man. He smelled like chrysalis when he came home because he'd been out there on the railroad. He was a railroader. And you know what you are? You're not just a person who knows Jesus. You are not just somebody who likes to talk about Christianity. You are a Christian, and you don't just witness once in a while. You are a witness for Jesus Christ. That's who you are. I love what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah never got to marry. He preached for 40 years to a bunch of hard-headed people who would never repent. We would never invite we would never invite Jeremiah to come speak at some seminar because he had zero converts. He wouldn't register well at all in the Southern Baptist Convention, although he was the one, he was the prophet that Jesus quoted more than any other prophet. He never had one convert, and he was in jail all the time. He was beaten all the time, and he got tired sometimes, and he said, I, I'm tired of this. I, I want a wife. I, I want a regular life, and the Bible says, he said, I might just quit. Go read, go read about it in Jeremiah 20. And then read these words also in verse 9. He said, but if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. That's the kind of preachers we need in America that got fire in their bones and they can't shut up about Jesus Christ. They preach all the time. They feel alive when they're talking about Jesus and that's what we need, not just in the pulpit, that's what we need where you are. We need people with the Holy Ghost in them and they say, I try to calm down but it just burns in my soul. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. I've got to go witness. I've got to do it. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For if I preach the gospel, I don't have anything to boast about. I'm under compulsion. Woe is me. If I don't preach the gospel, I, I was studying one day and I came across the Greek word where he says, I'm under compulsion. My mother worked not for Sears. My mother worked for Sears and Roebuck whatever the difference is. And she brought home a big old washing machine, Kenmore, brought that thing in, turned it on, and right smack dab in the middle of it had an agitator. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what this word is. He said, I am under compulsion. I am agitated by the Spirit of God. Is what he said. God was agitating Paul. He said, I try to be quiet, but I just get agitated. And all of a sudden, my mother would turn that thing on, and the whole back end of the house was shaking. 
We were agitated, amen? We were just being agitated. And, and that whole thing, that Kenmore thing was just shaking the whole back of the house. I'm preaching, amen? I'm agitated today, amen? That's what he's talking about. We need some Holy Ghost agitated Christians that can't shut up about Jesus. Everywhere you go. I had a guy, I went someplace one time, I won't tell you where it is. They said, now, when you pray, Pastor Gaines, understand there are all kinds of people here, so please don't pray in Jesus' name. I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> I prayed all right. I prayed Jesus on the silverware, Jesus up under the table, Jesus on top of the table, Jesus on the roof, Jesus on that guy that told me not to pray in the name of Jesus. I prayed for Jesus all over the place. You know why? There is no other name except Jesus whereby we must be saved. Amen. I'm having fun today. Amen. <laughs> Proclamation of mission. You shall be my witnesses. I'm under compulsion. Woe is me if I don't preach, if I don't proclaim the gospel of Jesus. One more thing. We've seen the power of missions. You're going to see, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, come in you. Proclamation of missions. You'll be my witnesses in the plan. Here's the plan. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. Let's go through this pretty quickly. First of all, we're supposed to witness locally. Where were, they, where were they located? They were in Jerusalem, both in Jerusalem. Guess where they were supposed to start? Jerusalem. Where are we? Are we in Jerusalem? No. Where are we? We're in Memphis. We're in Shelby County. We're right here in the Mid-South. Guess where we're supposed to start? Right here. Right here. Right here, right here, right here. Don't get on a plane and go to Africa and tell people about Jesus if you don't do it right here. Right here, starts right here, right here. Your neighborhood, you start praying for them. You get to know them and you start calling their name out to Jesus so that you can have a connection with them somehow. And God supernaturally starts opening doors. You're nice to your neighbors. There's a novel thought. Even if they mow a little bit over into your area. Oh, bless your heart. I wish they'd mow my whole yard, amen? <laughs> mow all you want to. That's fine with me. Trim the bushes too. I don't care. We freak out if somebody mows five inches into our yard. There's, that'll, that'll win them to Jesus, won't it? There are people all around us in our neighborhood. We go to work, go to school, people everywhere. God's get, put us right in the middle of a mission field. And we're supposed to tell them about Jesus. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. I'm supposed to go and tell people in Memphis is my Jerusalem. Why did we start Bellevue Loves Memphis? Because we're in Memphis. I'm not going to talk bad about Memphis. I live here. I'm not going to see Memphis for its bad. I'm going to see Memphis for what it could be if it would surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. And then secondly, witness regionally. And in all Judea, say the word Judea. 
Judea. Now what this is, the best way to explain it is, it's like Jerusalem is the county seat, town, and Judea is the county, all right? It's the land around Judea. And that's where they started witnessing. They, they were witnessing. They were telling lost people about them. And we're supposed to tell people about Jesus in Memphis, Frazier, Millington, Bartlett, Arlington, Germantown, Collierville, Olive Branch, South Haven. This whole Mid-South area is our Judea. And then ethnically, we've got to cross ethnic lines. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them because they were religious half-breeds. But Jesus didn't hate them. If you read in John chapter 4, Jesus... Now, I, look, look up here just a second, please. Now, I, I can't draw a map, obviously, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to show you what it was. If, if you look... Yeah, you can keep that up there too. That's great, good. But here's... Uh, up in the north is Galilee... And then you've got Samaria, and then you've got Judea. And the Jews would not walk from Galilee through Samaria to get to Judea, nor would they walk from Judea through Samaria to get to Galilee. They'd go way over here on the other side of the Jordan River and walk all the way down because they didn't want to step foot on Samaria. They didn't want to. Bunch of religious half-breeds over there. Bunch of lowlifes over there. I'm not going through that part of Memphis. That's where all the, the danger is. I'm not going to go over there where all that poverty is. I'm not going to step foot over into Samaria because they are a different color of skin from me. I'm not going to go. Let me tell you something, friend. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Amen. Jesus loves the little children of the world and their parents too. So no, we're not going to go across the Jordan. So, and we're, we're going to be like Jesus. How many of you want to be like Jesus? All right, get ready to go through Samaria. Listen to this out of John 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptized and making disciples more than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, but his disciples did. So he left Judea, returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. And he did. And the Bible says he met a woman at the well. He led her to Christ. She went back to her village and said, come here, a man that I met. He's changed my life. He's told me everything about it I've done. He's given me eternal life. They all came in. He stayed two or three more days. And he led many people to faith in Christ in Samaria. Hey, if Jesus loves Samaritans, Steve's going to love Samaritans. And if Jesus loves red, yellow, black, and white, Steve's going to love red, yellow, black, and white. Quit talking about my kind and start talking about God loves everybody. Everybody. There's one race, the human race. Let's love everybody. Amen. They all need the gospel. And then witness internationally, even to the remotest part of the earth. What can I do? You can pray, you can give, and you can go. You can pray. You can pray for lost people. We give you these little outlines to pray for people all over the world. You don't have to look around, wondering what I'm going to do. How do I pray for lost people? We give it to you. You say, how do I do it? Just, just come, and we, we've got literature all out in the hallways and everything else. You can pray for missions. 
It's an easy guide. Pray for people all over the world. You can give. This year, our Bellevue Love Offering that goes back to the days of the Depression in the 1930s, guess what? It's all going to missions. Every bit of it. We, last year, we, during the pandemic, we put all new seatings in. How many, how many of you like your seat right now? Anybody? All right. We paid for that. It's paid for. Don't tear it up, but it's paid for, all right? Carpet's paid for. Ceiling's paid for. All these lights are paid for. All these curtains are paid for. All this stuff back here is paid for. How? Through the love offering. So we just said, you know what? This year, we're not going to spend a penny of it on a building. We're going to put it all in souls. Amen? Now listen, I'm, all, I'm glad we did the seats. I'm glad we did all this. I'm, we put in a $3 million sound system and everything else. I'm glad all of that. That's great. But this year, we're asking for $3 million, not for a sound system. We're asking for $3 million to reach people for Jesus Christ. We rarely ever set a goal on the love offering, but this year we have. You know why? Because we want to give one million. We just want to write a check to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention that has 3,900 Southern Baptist missionaries, and we're just going to say, we want you to use this to reach people that we can't even go to those hundreds of countries that you go to, over 100 nations where our missionaries are. We want to help you support those people, support their children, support their churches, support their ministries out there in huts and everything else all over the world. We don't want to just think about Bellevue. We want to give a third of it to you, the International Mission Board. Then we're going to give a sixth of it, which is $500,000 to the North American Mission Board that is literally, for the last seven or eight years, planted hundreds of churches all across America, Canada, Mexico, and down further. How many of you believe we need more gospel-preaching churches? Amen? Well, I tell you what, we're going to give half a million dollars just for them to do it and to help them out. And then we're going to take the other 1.5 and we're going to enhance all of our mission programs here. We've got one of the best mission programs you can even imagine right here at Bellevue Baptist Church. We're blessed with a great missions leadership team. We have five inner city churches that we partner with. We have over a dozen parachurch ministries we partner with. We have Bellevue Loves Ministry Projects going out doing local missions four times a Four times a year, every quarter, a thousand or so people go out and do 40 or 50 ministries every time we go. We offer opportunities for you, for people to help with, serve with our church planners throughout North America. In 2022, we're going to send our members on short-term mission trips and midterm mission trips to Washington, Colorado, North Carolina, New Mexico, Montana, and Oregon. We're also going to send and equip you to go overseas, and we're going to take specific international mission trips, Bellevue is, to Tanzania, Kenya, Rwanda, Nicaragua, Honduras, and Cambodia. And then in 2023, over 200 of our volunteers are going to help out in Europe, we're going to go there and meet with missionaries from all over the world who need encouragement. 200 plus Bellevue volunteers are going to go minister to 400 Southern Baptist missionaries and their families. We're going to encourage them. We're going to minister to them. We're going to give them teaching in worship 
and in media, and we're going to talk about medical missions. We're going to talk about educational missions and how to do student and children's ministry all over the world. You can train people like that. You can also participate when you give to this. You give to the, the store, the Christmas store this December that gives city, inner city parents the ability. We, we give them, we, we cut the cost 75%. We make not one penny off of it. 75% of retail, they can come and shop for their little children and they can come in and get presents for their kids and we need volunteers to help us with that. We also are gonna have Mission of Mercy where we'll have 2,000 people come and get free dental care. We'll have 900 of, of the dental people that are working free. They give up all of their charges on that. There's nobody's charged a penny because they don't have insurance and they can't get medical care. Can you imagine not being able to go to the dentist and they're going to be there for a day and we share the gospel with every one of them and dozens of them get saved. You can come and volunteer and help with that. You say, I want to be trained in missions. We offer that too. Missions 101, you can do that, and then we'll send you out. Go to bellevue.org slash missions and find out more about our ministry. You can pray, you can give, and you can go if you'll do what God wants you to do. Man, I tell you, this is at the heart of Christianity. This is Christianity. Missions, evangelism, witnessing telling people about Jesus.